broadcaster SVOD services are struggling to compete with connected TV's elite, but their fasts are doing great. SVOD services that added ad tiers late suffer a long-term disadvantage. Listen on to learn more. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News and uh, Colin Dixon, that was Colin Dixon, of course, uh, from Instagram Media at the beginning there, who is in LA at uh, OTTX, right, Colin? How's the conference? It's great, Will. It's steamy hot down here in LA, but the conference is really good. There are lots of interesting stuff happening at the OTTX Summit. And uh, that's actually going to come up <laughs> in our discussions, I'm sure, today. Uh, but yeah, lots of interesting, interesting conversations. Good. Well, uh, we want to hear more about those. And I think you are going to get us started, actually, I think with something that you heard at the conference, didn't, uh, aren't you? I am. And, you know, we usually we start with news. But uh, of course, we are in the midst of the writers and actors strike. And this I'm in L.A. and this is galvanized, I think, a lot of people's attention here at the conference. And I was participating in a panel, uh, a keynote panel that sort of opened the conference. And one of the other participants on this panel was Laura Martin from Needham. She's a financial analyst with, uh, with Needham. And she had just been at some sort of conference on generative AI. And the, she, said, uh, she said some remarkable things. Uh, one of the things that she said, Will, and I'm going to quote her here, she said, the guys that are clever on YouTube that are using generative AI to create content are actually going to resonate more with audiences than people that are sitting here in Hollywood that are making stories. This, I thought, was a pretty remarkable thing to say when you're sitting in a room with a bunch of people from Hollywood. And she actually, she admitted that she pays for generative AI. I think she's using ChatGPT. And she uses it every day to help her pick the title of her piece that she's writing or or whatever. She She's using it in her daily business. She went on to say that she's working with an Israeli company that allows advertisers like BMW to check a box that says, let generative AI write the headline, uh, let generative AI personalize the ad and let it pick the even pick the image that's used in the ad this is will be a banner ad that's in a you know on a, on a website or something and she claims that this company if if you were to select yes let gen ai uh, optimize the title you would get a 7% lift in click through rate if you were let it if you were to let it pick the image you'd get a 7% lift in click through rate and if you would let it do both, you get a 20% increase in click-through rate. So she's a big, she's very, very enthusiastic about what Gen AI is going to do. Or maybe I, I should say, um, she sees Gen AI has a great future. I don't know if I would couch what she, she was as enthusiastic. And then... What really crystallized the whole Gen AI issue for me later was that there was actually a panel on AI and the CEO of Symphony AI was on that panel and he talked about how you could have, you could hire an actor 
to play a role in maybe the first season or movie. And Gen AI can capture pretty much everything about that character that's been created. And then you could not use that actor to do, you know, part two, the, the second season or part two of the movie. And he said that that is perfectly possible to do that. His, his company that uses AI is AI, it's Symphony AI. And he thinks that that is a real possibility that they can do that going forward. So this really is a big issue here in Hollywood. And I can tell you, I felt the tension in the room in these conversations. So I don't know, um, Gen AI, it sounds like it's it's going to be doing some pretty incredible things. Well, well right. You're, you're, I think you're absolutely right. This is one of, the, as we know, one of the key issues in the strikes, the actors and writer strikes that are going on right now is what is the role of generative AI going to be in the future and what protections can be put in place, uh, you know, relative to the reuse of actors, um, you know, likenesses and voices in subsequent productions, just as you outlined right there. So um, sounds like this week you've been able to kind of get a front row seat at what some of the real world possibilities are in the applications that might be following. Yeah, yeah, and at, and at some of the concerns, Will. So yes, it's been absolutely fascinating. And I, I tell you, there was, one, there was one thing I did see was a demonstration by a company called Riff, R-Y-F-F. And what they do is they do, in post-production, they can place a product in any scene. So, you know, you can have your coffee cup on a table in Friends or you can put your liquid detergent next to the sink in an, in, in an episode of a, of a, a comedy or something. Uh, and the, the remarkable thing is it's very easy for them to remove it so that the company can actually remove it later and replace it, resell that spot. <laughs> it's, it's amazing, resell it. But get this, they use AI to predict the best place to put that object in the scene. So the AI analyzes the scene and tells you, yeah, put it on the right side of the table, not the left side to get the most notice. It's just remarkable what's going on. But anyway, perhaps that's enough enough about AI. Uh, what caught your eye? Yeah, fair enough. Uh, all very interesting stuff, Colin. Um, well, what caught my eye was this week uh, reading, actually I caught it in Cord Cutter News, that um, Stars has reduced the price of its streaming service, its annual uh, price of its streaming service from 75 to $70 a year, $5 decrease. Again, not a gigantic uh, decrease, but I thought noteworthy because we've seen so many price increases. And um, I think we just talked about the latest Disney Plus price increase a couple of weeks ago. Um, and there's been a lot of coverage of how all the various uh, SFOD services have been increasing their price. So um, this news jumped out at me, stars reducing their price and um, their uh, head of domestic networks said that um, in explaining it, that they're always, quote, always looking for ways to drive success for the business while providing great value to our customers and that our annual plan subscribers are some of our most valuable customers. So we want to find ways to drive more people into the plan 
and reward them. Um, and so uh, that is starting on, well, it started this week, actually, August 28th. And um, just, uh, you know, something relatively unique, I think, in, in, the, in the industry these days. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think they're, they're probably going to be followed by a lot of companies will. I mean, if you think about it, one of the biggest problems that all of the asphalt services complained about is churn that people will very often come in watch a particular show that they want and then they'll cancel again or you know um, and, and they're gone encouraging people to sign up for annual plans is just makes a lot of sense and it is clearly worth a substantial discount to get them so i think you'll see this a lot I think it's a very it should be a very successful strategy if you can get people to to promise to be with you for a year you should definitely do that yeah agreed I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some other moves like that to your point Um, and so anyway underlying some of this uh, dynamics in the industry was a new report from Comscore this week and I think you found a few highlights that were noteworthy that we're going to discuss here I did, Will, and, you know, this uh, Comscore does its annual state of streaming report, which came out this week, uh, and it, as usual, full of really interesting data. I wouldn't say there was anything that was really shocking in the data, but I did have a couple of re- revelations as I was listening to what they were talking about, and, of course, this report is available for free um, and Will and I will include a link on how to get that for free although Will tried to download it and I think it didn't work right Will so <laughs> not yet not yet but hopefully soon <laughs> maybe maybe it will show up but uh, it's well worth a read there's lots of lots of data in there and we're only going to sort of touch on the very top top level of some of that data the first thing that they gave was they talked about the top six services in, this is in the US, by the way, this data is in the US. The top six services on CTV, and they compared them through their reach and their engagement levels. And as you would expect, Netflix and YouTube sit right at the very top. Uh, Netflix's reach is 74%, and the hours people watch per month is 35 hours a month. YouTube is 71%, just slightly lower reach than Netflix, and its watch time is higher at 47 hours a month. Now, there are other services that sort of match reach or view viewership. So Prime Video is in 69% of CTV households, but its usage sucks. It's only like 14 hours a month, and Hulu's Usage is great, 34 hours, but its reach is not so good, only 45%. And HBO Max and Disney Plus, well, you know, their reach is pretty weak and their usage is pretty weak. And and the thing that sort of popped up to me here, Will, was that the broadcasters are still struggling to deal with Netflix and YouTube. And I wonder if they will, because we know the hulu hbo max and disney plus they are cutting back on their content spending so there's going to be less new content flowing into those services and we know also that netflix is actually holding content spending steady 
And YouTube, well, YouTube doesn't really pay for most of its content. There is some licensed content there, but it doesn't really pay for its content. So it strikes me that the difference between Netflix and YouTube and the rest is going to uh, is going to expand not contract you i don't think that we'll see hulu disney plus hbo max or anybody else catching up to them in the next year or so and it just seems like it's it's weird that they're backing away from competing with these two companies yeah well uh i mean that's a great i think a great explanation of the data uh colin and you know to your point just the reach alone, the uh, connected TV household reach, CTV household reach that Comscore outlined, as you said, Netflix at 74%, YouTube at 71%, and then you look over at HBO Max and Disney Plus, each at 35%, so basically half the reach. Actually, I was a little surprised that YouTube wasn't even higher than 71% uh, on CTVs because I think they've said a number of times now that half their at least half their consumption uh, hours now comes on CTV. So, uh, but you know, regardless, it certainly to your point shows the um, much greater reach of Netflix and YouTube. Um, and then on the engagement side, absolutely. I mean, YouTube is by far the highest with 47 hours per month uh, watched per household um, with Netflix coming in second at 35. But then you look over at Max, as an example, you know, just with eight hours uh, per month in um, in the homes where it's uh, adopted, so much, you know, much different landscape. And you know, to your point, where where are the broadcast networks in this? I mean, other than you know, being somewhat in Hulu, they're really not uh, represented here at all in terms of the top um, services that are in um, CTV households. That's that's right. And the thing, you know, the thing that I find fascinating, Will, is just the way I see myself using YouTube in particular. YouTube, I think, is way, way underestimated. We don't talk about it nearly enough in the CTV, CTV business. It is a monster. There is no question about it. But the way I see it being used in my house is YouTube is sort of the default choice if you know, if I'm waiting for my spouse to show up and we're going to watch something like uh, Lincoln Lawyer on Netflix, if I'm waiting for her, I'm on YouTube on my TV watching, you know, any number of, of like chefs that we like to watch or the home shows or whatever. There's, there's, there's so much content there. Um, that's the way it's being used in my house. And the combination of Netflix and YouTube provides a really rich set of uh, rich and broad set of content in just so many genres and areas that if people aren't careful if these other services aren't careful they're just going to sort of get squeezed out of people's viewing time because there's just so much there yeah the one area where i think broadcasters are doing better is in the fast market well and that certainly stands out from the comscore data they so comscore shows that about 18 percent of their survey response respondents who generally watch vod content uh, used pluto tv and about the same number use 
Tubi. Um, now, Roku channel is a little less, and the Freevee is a little less than that. I think Roku channel is 17%, and Freevee was 15%. So it's not to say that digital natives aren't doing well. But, there are, but the interesting thing here is that, of course, Pluto TV and Tubi are both owned by broadcasters. Pluto is owned by Paramount Global, and Fox owns Tubi. And they, you know, their roots are in free TV. They both, they both got their start in free TV. And they're continuing to prosper with the free model online. So I think that's really interesting the though they may be really having a tough time with their SVOD services, with their free services, they're doing much, much better. Uh, the one exception to that, of course, is Zumo. And the Comscore data shows that really Zumo isn't moving the needle. It's been stuck at 2% for the last year or so, and it really is not moving the needle. And why I point this one out is because Comcast owns Zumo, and of course Comcast also owns NBCU, which 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 launched Peacock last year. And the big difference here, however, between the way Comcast is running Zumo, Zumo, and Paramount and Fox are running their fast services is that as far as I can tell, Will, there is zero coordination between Zumo and, and Peacock. Uh, Zumo isn't owned by NBCU, isn't controlled by NBCU, it's controlled by Comcast proper. Uh, NBCU is just really controlling Peacock. So there's no coordination between these two. I think, I think actually when NBCU released those channels, they, uh, they started going to fasts. They did release on Zumo first, but they've done, released those channels on other fast platforms. So it's not just on Zumo that they've done this. So I think that's probably the biggest the biggest difference there. But uh, anyway, maybe this is this is the gold mine for broadcasters. Maybe it's the free TV. <laughs> it may well be. Uh, and to your point, um, it uh, the Comscore data showed uh, some nice growth. Actually, Tubi was number one. Uh, looks like they. Uh, had 48% audience growth in the last, excuse me, 15 months. Pluto right behind. Well, Freebie actually was number one from Amazon, 55%. That was starting from a smaller base, though. Um, and then Tubi at 48%. Pluto uh, and Roku channel basically tied at 28% and 27%. And to your point, Zumo just back at 13%. So um, Zumo has not yet really kind of caught on um, in the way that these other services have. And, you know, as we know, um, Paramount has been aggressive in using Pluto as a feeder to get subscribers onto Paramount Plus. And, um, you know, Fox has been very successful with Tubi. So, um, yeah, that's, a I thought, a good snapshot of where the uh, free market stands right now from Comscore. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the last thing that I really liked about the data is uh, they gave a really clear, there's a beautiful clear graph uh, showing the distribution of users between the uh, free, uh, excuse me, between the ad-supported tiers and the ad-free tiers on the top services will and basically the bottom line i took away from this diagram was that if you launched with an ad tier you're probably doing pretty well with it if you didn't 
you're probably struggling. So uh, basically, uh, when you look at the data, 14% of Netflix users and 18% of Disney Plus viewers are watching with ads. Um, HBO Max, which launched about a year before them, is doing a little better at 22%. But, you know, they're so far behind the other services like Hulu, where two-thirds of users are watching with ads, and Peacock, where three-quarters of users are watching with ads. So these, these services, of course, launched with an ad tier. So I mean, the lesson is pretty clear. If you're planning on launching a service and you intend to use ads, launch with ads from the beginning if you really want to make uh, an impression. The, the interesting thing for me, Will, uh, looking at uh, Netflix and Disney um, as a just to reiterate, 14% of Netflix users are watching with ads and 18% with Disney. And the, if you look at the way the two launched, Disney Plus basically introduced ads at this into the plan that everybody was watching, the $7.99 plan. They didn't give a discount. And what they did was they charged a premium to continue to watch with ads. I think you had to pay like $3 more. Uh, whereas Netflix gave you a discount. They introduced a plan at $7.99 or I think it was $6.99, which was $3 cheaper than their cheapest ad-free plan at $9.99. Uh, so given those two strategies, you'd expect a lot of people at Disney to have stayed on the ad plan. But there's only like a marginal difference, 14% and 18%. So it looks to me like most people on Disney Plus They've gotten used to watching without ads and they don't want to watch ads at all. So they've opted to pay more and not be on the ad plan. So it's interesting that, uh, that, that things worked out that way, bearing in mind the different introduction strategies that the two companies took. Yeah, I think that's right. And also agree with your point about how services that launched with an, launched with an ad-supported tier um, just have far, far higher penetration of that ad-supported tier now uh, than those that don't. You know, the Hulus, the Paramount Pluses, the Peacocks, certainly YouTube, uh, all, you know, with twice to 3x or 4x even the percentage of their subscriber base that's taking ad-supported, uh, that's watching ad-supported versus ad-free. So, um Making that transition, bringing customers over to ad-supported is, I think, very lucrative for these services, as we've seen and heard them describe. But it's challenging for them to make that happen in any substantial numbers. It sure is. But anyway, there's lots more uh, interesting information in that report, so I highly recommend you give it a, sh give it a look. And as I yeah. say, we'll include links to the download. And I think that's it for this week, Colin. So uh, for everybody who's celebrating Labor Day on Monday, enjoy your three-day weekend. And Colin, that goes for you too. Safe trip travels back to, uh, back to home. You bet. And enjoy the rest of the conference, and we'll see everybody again next week uh, inside the stream. Inside the Stream is a production of In Screen Media and Video News, all rights reserved.